HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. If your food media diet is fueled by HRN, become a monthly donor today. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil runs his groove in them rhythm and blues that sound. It's gonna get you Welcome back to The Speakeasy. I'm Damon Bolte. I'm Souther Teague. And I'm Greg Benson. Gentlemen. Hey, Greg, didn't you just get back from like an exotic vacation? I did. I did get back from an exotic vacation. It was a a strange, strange land uh, that I didn't really understand their their ways or their customs at all. It's called Connecticut. Um, (laughs) It is... A, uh, you might think that that's just a suburb of New York City, but it's actually a whole entire state. In fact, the nutmeg state. Um, I've been in a nutmeg state before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you have. I, I promise you it's nothing like Connecticut. Um, <laughs> uh, I was up there for a wedding. Uh, two friends of mine. Uh, in fact, I got to do the ultimate wedding flex uh, when people were like, oh, do you know the bride or the groom? I actually got to be like, well, I introduced them and then point to the open bar and just go, you're welcome. So that was nice. Um, <laughs> but I had a weird experience. There is a type of bar that I, I, I went to over the weekend that I haven't been to this particular type of bar in, in a really, really long time. And, you know, being in the industry that we are, you like to think that, you know, it's like, oh, there's no, you know, like, uh, like cocktail bars, wine bars, beer bars, dive bars, sports bars. Like, you know, it's like, no, there is no bar that I fear. Um, <clears throat> I hadn't been to a college bar oh, my <laughs> in about a decade and a half. And uh, I, I still haven't because I, I we unexce- unsuccessfully attempted to enter. We're trying to go through a door that we, I, I guess, couldn't get through. Got They checked your ID and you were vicious. too old? Yeah, exactly. They were just like, no, sorry, sir. This is legitimate. You can't drink here. Um, No, we got heckled, (laughs) like just viciously heckled for no reason by the people that were drinking there, I guess, just because we looked like, you know, we were like a bunch of a bunch of aging, decrepit millennials. And um, yeah, my I, I hadn't been like bullied in about 15 years and i was like very unused to it i was just like well i just want i just wanted a shot of whiskey it took me five hours to drive from brooklyn to central connecticut like all i want is to just like have a drink in peace it was a very it was a very strange experience not one that i could say i would recommend but i will say this i will say this about the state of connecticut there were some like very old school like 
going back to the 1800s and have been in continuous or continuous air quotes operation around prohibition that I drank at that were just absolutely lovely, like run by the salt of the earth, no bullshit, like shots and beers, excellent places, like had some really, really good decor and you could really kind of feel the history. So I will say that like they value their old taverns and they treat them like the gold that they are up there. But uh, then you occasionally have college bars where people will just just flip you off when you even attempt to enter the bar for reasons that are still a mystery to me. So you win some, you lose some. Uh, college bars are like dog parks. It's just a, they're learning to socialize. They're learning to be, you know, around other of their of their of their of their, <laughs> of their ilk. You know, they're just <laughs> it's just a place to uh, exercise uh, those freedoms and try and uh, assimilate into normal society. Yes. And some of them aren't housebroken either. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Ladder busters. <laughs> what was, um, what was uh, like when you were in college, what was like the, the drink? Uh, oh man. Well, I remember the very first time I went to my college bar, uh, I ordered, I thought it was very sophisticated. I ordered a white Russian and the gentleman pulls out a pint glass, fills it with like a, a smattering of ice for aesthetics, takes a bottle of vodka and Kahlua and just like dumps them upside down into it until the glass is half full. He grabs a thing of milk from so probably not a refrigerator. I didn't see where it came from, but it didn't look like it was cold. Dumps that in, maybe like two or three drops of milk come out. He kind of looks at it, shrugs, literally throws the carton over his shoulder, grabs the vodka and Kahlua again, fills up the rest of the pint glass, gives it like <laughs> one stir with a straw. And it's just like, here you go. And I remember walking away thinking like, wow, the beverage program at this place is really great. <laughs> they make them strong here. Yeah. Make them, yeah. It was I like three dollars. Strong island. Give me a strong island. <laughs> How about you, Souther? When you're up in, uh, like, well, you've been, you've been on the teaching side as well. So, I mean, what is, I'm sure that when you were teaching up in Vermont, it was probably quite a bit different than, uh, than the earlier days, right? Before well, teaching versus being in college. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> quite, quite a different side of the coin. <laughs> uh, up there, sadly, I, I had to drink alone. Um, when I was in Vermont, uh, when I was told pretty immediately upon arrival to the job, uh, taught at the New England Culinary Institute up there, um, that I was not to fraternize with students. Uh, and let's not forget that Montpelier, the capital, is the smallest capital in the country with only 8,000 constant residents. And there's only wow. two bars. So Whoa. all the students were at the bars, so I couldn't go to the bars. So I just sit at home quietly drinking whiskey or cognac uh, while I graded papers or whatever. Uh, but my drinks, when I was a young person, when I started drinking, uh, I drank... Um, a lot of vodka. I drank absolute vodka with my buddy who was the guy who sort of, you know, you always have that guy in your, or maybe girl in your life who, who is your spirit guide, teaches you to drink. Um, my buddy, he, he had a girlfriend who had uh, gone off to the Peace Corps in Russia. Uh, uh, so he started drinking um, vodka because he missed her. So we just drank vodka all the time. My, my introduction to drinking was just a glass of vodka neat. I, I, that's the most acceptable vodka story I've ever heard. Uh, <laughs> so far, well, there, there's a flaw in there. I don't know why it was absolute. <laughs> you would think well, yeah, that sure. you would think it would have been maybe Stolichnaya. Um but uh, but yeah, we just right. just drank Something vodka neat. That was that was my first uh, experience with drinking was just vodka neat, um, and, and not like shots, like neat pours. Um, and I drank that for probably a year before I tried kind of anything else really. 
man. Was that like, yeah. was that like one of those experiences where it's like, I don't know. I feel like the, the first drink, I mean, like, it was like me with like white Russians and whiskey sours. It was just like, that's it. Like that is like, when I was like learning to drink, I was like, this is like the end of, and anything outside of that is like weird and scary. So is there a first moment when like someone put like a, a, any brown spirit in front of you and you were kind of like, I don't know about this. Well, I think for, for me, uh, and I think, well, what you're describing, I think, sounds like kind of everybody, right? Everybody kind of locks onto their thing, and then that's their thing. It doesn't matter if it's 100 degrees out or zero degrees out. That's what I drink. Is it Christmas? Sure. Is it New Year's? Is it my birthday? I drink a white Russian. That's it. Um, and I think that's how kind of everybody begins, certainly how I began in my story I just told. Um, but then, you know, I had a great interest, even at that time, I was working in kitchens, Um I had a great interest in food, and I think that the analogies that I always use are still true and, and were true then, even though I was only kind of just cracking into them, which is I thought what? I would never do that with food. I would never say, this is what I eat. I eat this meal, whether it's 10 degrees or 100 degrees, whether it's breakfast or, or lunch or dinner, whether it's my birthday or Christmas, this is what I eat. I would never do that. So I started breaking free from just drinking vodka. Also, the, also, his girlfriend came back. <laughs> <laughs> they're married now with several children so you know, it all worked out great <laughs> um I, mine was uh you know grew up in oklahoma it was whoever could get to the bottom of a, a 30 rack of beers uh first it was basically it beer in oklahoma for those of you i'm sure most people listening to the show probably know this but there are two states in the united states where um your everyday drinking beer has to be it, can, it cannot exceed 3.2% alcohol yeah. by volume. Anything that's higher than that, and this is what's ridiculous, uh, you know, you can get things like Guinness, which is not much higher than that in alcohol, and, you know, much higher proof beers than that. But you have to buy them in a liquor store, and they have to be room temperature on a shelf. They can't be refrigerated, which is a crazy thing that we could go really into uh, if we wanted to. But, it, yeah, it was it was interesting because you could – a seasoned professional, young professional drinker at the time could take down <laughs> 30 beers in a night. And, yeah. and uh, so, yeah, everyone would just walk around with their own 30 pack of beer. It was disgusting. <laughs> Seems like a lot of environmental waste. It sure um, was. And, and then not to mention, then you go on vacation to see family in another state and you're like, let me get out of this beer. And you're just wrecked after 10. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, crap. I'm only a third of the way through my night. Yeah, yeah, right. I got to pick up the pace here. I'm toasted. And then you like you would throw like uh, I would drink a lot of rum and cokes, and yeah. I I realized uh, you know there were two things that I didn't really dig about that drink. One, I don't really do I don't really do caffeinated sodas, you know, and there's a lot of sugar. But two, I wasn't drinking good rum, and that kind of led me on a path. I was intrigued by rum because of. You know, just I had started reading these cocktail books and you read about like the daiquiri and you read about all these like Polynesian like tiki drinks and things like that. And uh, I I was like, what? I, you know, I had a couple of tiki books and I was like, what is what am I doing wrong here? <laughs> and so I, I kind of started on a path getting into rum uh, at that point, too. And so it's always been that's kind of the only thing that stuck from that era was rum, but much better rums. Yeah. Well, speaking of much better rums, uh, now that we now that we've all moved on and refined our tastes, we have a uh, awesome guest in the studio today. Should we bring him in, everybody? Yeah, man, bring him in. All right, we have Mark Farrell here, the founder and CEO of Ten to One Rum from Trinidad. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. From where? Where are you again? 
What's up, guys? Really great to join you all. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm actually out in Milan at the moment, so nowhere close to Trinidad, but still a pretty good time. Oh, man, I love Milan. It's it's a great city, but it's, you know, and I've been there a bunch of times, but I have to say it in the same way that I've been to Charlotte, North Carolina a bunch of times, you know, because like I, I've been to Charlotte, North Carolina as I connect through the airport. Um, mm. And usually when I'm in Milan, I'm getting on the train and going to Florence. But I do always make sure to spend some time in Milan. And of course, you know, checking out the, you know, that's where Campari and Fernet, you know, Fernet Branca come from. That's, you know, it's, it's a very important place for me. But you're, Same. you're there now on vacation or are you there on business? Yeah, you know, I'm 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 pretending to take a vacation. Uh, like I said, uh, day day one has pretty much entailed me sitting at my uh, at my desk at my computer, just as if I were in New York or somewhere else. So hopefully, we'll have a chance to uh, get out and see the Duomo and uh, do a little aperitivo and some of the other some of the other like uh, key attractions of Milan before I head to Croatia later this week. Nice. Got to pay homage, man. We yeah, it's a great start. Got to gotta do it. Got to do it. It's a great stopover. Milan's gorgeous, and and like the the people there are just so Tony. You know, the their style of dress is so. Uh, I don't know. I don't think anyone in that city wears anything that off the rack. It's all tailored. The, 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 every 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 person in Milan looks like a, a model. That's true. <laughs> Until yeah. I get there. Definitely, definitely, yeah, definitely. Right, except, except me, right? Except the, <laughs> the ugly Americans. I think that's why they call us the ugly Americans. Yeah, we don't tailor our clothes. <laughs> Um, well, yeah, so you're, you're about to maybe have a little bit of a vacation, but difficult to take a vacation uh, for a CEO and founder of a brand that's just uh, so young, right? Founded just in 2019. Uh, you got a good sort of year under your belt, and then the pandemic comes along. Um, talk a little bit about uh, the founding of, of 10 to 1. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, this is the, this is the definition of a 24-7 operation, a 24-7 gig. And, uh, you know, one of the, the bits of counsel I always give to folks who are considering doing something entrepreneurial is, you know, you've you got to be in a, in a place or a position where you're willing to tell the story, roll up your sleeves, dive into the brand at a, at a moment's notice, right? So, um, yeah, very, very happy to kind of live that life as it pertains to, to 10 to 1. Um, but, but, you know, it, it was a brand that was founded, uh, as you just mentioned, it was launched about two years ago, June of 2019, obviously a, a, a few months prior to uh, the, ap- the apocalyptic 2020 that we all, uh, we all had to endure. But, but really the inspiration for the brand came about uh, a, f- a few years before that. You know, um, I'm somebody who's from Trinidad and Tobago, born and raised in the Caribbean. Uh, you know, I've, I've actually spent my entire adult life, though, living uh, outside of Trinidad, uh, primarily in the U.S., a few years in the U.K. as well. Um, and I was, I was loving listening to you guys in the lead and talking about uh, your different spirits of choice, you know, from, mm. from, back, from, from back in the day. And there's certainly a part of that story that really resonates uh, uh, with, with rum and rum culture, for sure. You know, as somebody who's been a consumer here uh, as an adult, um, it often struck me how rum has has felt and continue to feel underappreciated versus um, pretty much all the other major spirits categories, right? Like, like you, you'll often hear me remark on the fact that um, they all feel like they've had their renaissance, their period of elevation, their moment in the sun. You know, you kind of go back to the, the, the premiumization of vodka, you know, 15, 20 years ago at this point. Um, tequilas apparently having a moment every two years at this point. Um, yes. Mezcal, gin, American whiskey, right? They've all sort of had that renaissance and, and, and rum for a lot of consumers 
in, in this market, I think, again, still remains very underappreciated. I think people usually or often will pigeonhole it into this realm of, you know, sort of lower end spirits, sugary, slushy cocktails, very specific occasions in which they drink it, you know, um, uh, you know, on spring break, on a boat cruise in the Caribbean, um, and, 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 and certainly not even necessarily appreciating the culture that surrounds it. You know, there's so much of it that is very uniquely Caribbean. Of course, that's where the genesis of the spirit is from. And I, I, again, I just think we have a really, really um, massive and essential opportunity to, to reshape the way that a lot of consumers approach the space and ap- approach the category uh, in the U.S. And so that's really what g- gave rise to 10 to 1 as both a brand and a business um, that really became impossible to ignore. By, by, by late 2018, early 2019, uh, myself and my co-founder, Zach, uh, had decided that, you know, we just had to go take a run at this thing and, and really bring the brand to life. What do you think is the uh, origin of that that misconception of rum? Why do you Why do you think... I have my own opinion, but I'd love to hear from someone who's in it. Like, why do you think that the, especially it sounds like the American has such a, an odd um, misunderstanding of the category as a whole? Well, you know, you know, I, I think a lot of it is um, due to the, 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 the place where you first encounter a product as a consumer. And then the question is, is there someone or some ones out there who are then able to shift that perception? Right. So 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 I'll often kind of draw a parallel to, to, to tequila. Right. When I was in college, kind of early 2000s, um, if you went down to Cancun, for example, for spring break, you would see that sh- that slushy strawberry daiquiri turning over in one machine right next to, you know, a hopper with um, the frozen uh, margarita that was in it as well, right? And certainly tequila has had to walk that road over the last 5, 10, 15 years where you've had a shift in that sort of perception, right? Now you have tequilas that are strictly for sipping. Like, you wouldn't dare mix them into a cocktail or, you know, you, you, you can't um, you can't walk more than two doors in New York without sort of finding somebody's take on an elevated spicy margarita. And I think um, that shift in perception is a little bit of the road that, that, that rum certainly has to walk. So from, so from my perspective, um, it's all based on how people have first encountered it, right? Like you're on spring break, you're on that trip. If I had a dollar for everybody who's told me a story of taking a swig of rum in their parents' basement, right, as a, as a, <laughs> as a teenager, right, then, we, then, we, then we'd be set for life at this point. And so um, you're kind of starting there. And, 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 and then I think I look at the, at, the, at the category more broadly and just kind of wonder aloud whether folks have felt like they've had any real incentive to shift away from that narrative, right? Um, you know, doing high volume, selling tons of cases, you know, uh, 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 presumably building these large businesses and large brands, um, is the incentive or has the incentive really been there to offer up a different story, offer up a different narrative? And certainly I think one of the things that's, that, that's unique about 10 to 1 is with somebody like myself sitting in the seat, I'm born and raised in the Caribbean. Um, um, this is personal to me, right? It isn't just about rum or about rum culture. It's actually about Caribbean Caribbean culture and shining a different light on that, a more optimistic, a more authentic, a more inspired view of that as well. And so um, um, I think it's a, it's a combination of factors, but, but, but certainly the initial point of introduction and the lack of a catalyst to shift that perception has landed us in the place that we're in today. Well, let's talk a little bit about the, the perception of, of rum in Trinidad and Tobago, where you're from and, and growing up, because it sounds like you had a, a very, you know, a, a real appreciation for it. And then coming to the United States, you, yeah, it's a, uh, you were, first of all, you were, uh, 
went to MIT at age 16. Is that right? Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. Okay. Just, I just have to point out, Tony Stark did the exact same thing. So you're on a, you're on a good path. <laughs> exactly. You know, 10 to 1 now, maybe Iron Man 4 a couple of years, a couple of years from now. Let's see. <laughs> Let's see how it goes. Let's see how it goes. Um, One thing at a time. But yeah, I guess I guess I sort I guess I sort of have two things I want to ask, which is what is the the perception of the in in Trinidad and Tobago? Is there more of a appreciation for these rums on the same level as you know, like you mentioned, we have sipping tequilas now? And was there kind of a rude shock going from there to uh, Massachusetts and and being like, hey, where are all the where have all the good rums gone off to? Yeah, 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 absolutely. You know, the, the, the way that I often reflect that is um, the, the role that rum plays uh, in, in, in our moments of celebration as a people and as a culture, right? And, and, and I, I talk a lot about this idea of, of versatility. So it, it, it isn't even to say that every rum in Trinidad or in the Caribbean is an amazing rum or everything has to be a super highbrow, really elevated moment. I think actually the versatility, the range, the dynamism are, are, are the elements that make Trinidadian culture and certainly Caribbean culture very unique. And so uh, the thing I always reflect on is if you think about um, moments of celebration from your biggest and grandest scales, like Trinidad Carnival, to the smallest, right? You and your family or a couple of your cousins sitting on the bank of a, of a river or near the beach, right? Like laughing and sharing old stories and all of those things. If you think about sort of the, the again, the grandest, most highbrow manifestation to the most lowbrow and kind of easygoing, you actually find that rum plays a role in many of those different moments. And so, and so to me, I think that's been a big part of what's been lost in that narrative over time. Um, I think that, that, that you, you look at it today and it, it, it has often feels very reductive, um, fairly narrow, a little bit caricature, a little bit tropish. Those are all words that I would use, right? I mean, we kind of use this pirates and plantations notion as a shorthand for all things rum and rum culture. And I'm always promising people, you know, if you came to you came to Trinidad and Tobago, um, and you guys are invited now. We're all friends, so I, I promise you, you wouldn't see any pirate ships, right? We're not really kind of <laughs> part of the whole plantation thing at this point. So, so again, how do you kind of tell a story that is that is um, more optimistic and more inspired in its in its in its in its tone and in its nature, right? I mean, those are some of the things we're trying to reflect through the brand. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, also just like something that really got me into rum too is that. You know, culturally and in on the world level, like it, you you can find a form of rum literally anywhere around the world. You know, it's and it's cool because it's so terroir driven, it's process driven in different ways. You know, like you go to Martinique and Guadeloupe, and yes, they're both agricultural rums, but they they're kind of different. You know, and then like whenever you go to like you can find rums in in Australia, like Inner Circle, and like the the cool thing is about it for me has always been those experiences and bringing them back to New York or to the United States, because even like Havana club, you know, it, it since it's not legal in the United States or it's not distributed to the United States, that's all, another one. And for me, it's like, I always feel like to be, it's, it's almost like having a rum passport, you know, whenever you have like a, a nice collection of rums and then you get to share them with your friends and family you're really sharing this story, like kind of a more worldly story. And it's, it's just a cool spirit. I mean, like, I think that, you know, behind rum, I would say gin, you know, because it's, it's another one where you, that 
you know, you go to South Africa and they have all these amazing gins, you know, and like just anywhere around the world, there, there's like some form of that. There's some sort of juniper, but rum is such a true spirit and it is of its place too. So I really like that analogy of like having it with your, and I, I don't really, I, you know what? I get a little seasick when I'm on a boat. So the pirate thing, like, <laughs> I, I don't even care. Like, I don't even want to think about it. Like, but, but I, but yeah, I get what you're saying. I mean, there is this kind of funny thing that that's the, that's the first thing that people kind of think about is, you know, um, parts of the Caribbean <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, um, t- 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 totally, totally. You know, actually, I just want to I, I want to pick up on something you just said there because it, it resonates a ton. You know, I think I think for me, one of the big opportunities around rum is how do we find a way to turn um, what you just described into a real strength for the category? So so well, when I'm describing, I'm trying to explain rum to folks who are new to the category, I'll often kind of um kind of put my hands up and make it look almost like a decision tree because there's so many opportunities along the way to really shape what the end product looks like. So you mentioned um, agricole style rums, sugarcane, the, you know, the, the, the raw material, the input is sugarcane juice versus molasses, um, molasses uh, uh, style rums in the English and Spanish speaking Caribbean. You look at distillation methods, pot versus column still, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is, it, is it aged, unaged? Is it a blend? Is it not? And even when you get down to the fundamentals of uh, things like terroir and provenance, right? Those are words that are usually reserved for the world of wine, for example. Yeah. Um, yeah. But 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 they really apply to, to to rum, right? Like like the soil composition in yeah. Jamaica, super different than what you have in Trinidad, right? Those are almost in the two opposite ends of the Caribbean archipelago, and you see that being manifested in those different rums and the way that they're brought to life. And so and so actually one of the things that, that, that we kind of hang our hat on with 10 to 1 is setting ourselves apart with this idea of creating a blend story. So you're bringing those different distillation methods and provenance and terroir to life in a single blend to create something that is that is super unique. So yeah, I just wanted to kind of pick up on that really quickly. Yeah, and I to kind of kind of volley that back to you. Yeah, I mean you mentioned wine and to me I feel like you know, I love the term bon vivant, right? So like, you know, bon vivant is a, you know, kind of like a world travel educated person. And the, like, and I feel like rum kind of lends itself more to a bon vivant lifestyle than, than wine in a lot of ways, because wine only really grows in the way that we, I mean, it grows in a lot of places around the world, but when you compare it to rum, I mean, rum has a much larger footprint and presence than, than wine does as far as, provenance as you said you know you can mm-hmm. you can find some form of it in a in the farther stretches of of the planet you know it's really cool that way sure and if i'm a bon vivant and i'm traveling i want something that's gonna you know travel well with me and in yeah. you know lesser uh volume right i need to travel with a 12 pack of wine i can get the same punch from one bottle of rum right. <laughs> uh, plus once 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 i've opened it the clock isn't ticking on it going bad that's just pure um, economics though there yeah <laughs> economics exactly, and, exactly. And, ergon- and ergonomics, ergonomics. Together. <laughs> um well, let's pause for a second and take a quick break to hear from our sponsors here on uh, heritage radio network we're going to come back and keep talking to mark farrell uh, founder of 10 to 1 rum from trinidad stay tuned everybody Hey, this is Hannah, HRN's program manager. You may have noticed that we have a whole new look. We also launched a new website that's going to make your listening easier and more enjoyable than ever before. 
HRN is the original food podcast network. And as we enter a new chapter in our 12-year history, I want to ask you to invest in HRN for the long haul. If you rely on this show to fuel your food media diet, become a monthly sustaining member today. Our members keep the voice of America's food movement alive and kicking. Your donations support this podcast along with 40 other shows on Heritage Radio Network. Your contribution helps give HRN the security we need to stay on the airwaves throughout the pandemic, and your continued support is allowing us to reopen our studio. Plus, we like to give our regular members special treatment. So sign up to become a monthly donor and get access to our secret menu. We've gathered together exclusive discounts and offers from some of your favorite food and beverage brands. So you get to enjoy insider pricing on goods that will ship right to your door. Join our community of monthly donors and special deals will come your way throughout the summer. So can you make a gift of five or $10 a month? It'll show me and our whole team at HRN how much this podcast and food radio in general means to you. Become a monthly sustaining member today at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. And we're back. You're listening to The Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. And in the studio today, we have our friend Mark Farrell, founder and CEO of 10 to 1 Rum. And we were just talking a little bit uh, before the break about rum and its place in the world. And, you know, honestly, I, I've been a part, and this is, it's, it's fascinating to me to see how things start, you know, like opening mm-hmm. a bar or restaurant, starting a brand. I, I've started, I've helped start and started a, a few different brands in my time in this industry. And it's always interesting to, you know, like, especially for me coming from a, a design and marketing kind of background, it, it's, it's fun to see how that applies and, 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 getting something started and these it's a scary and daunting thing to do, but it's also interesting, as you mentioned, like starting right around the pandemic, um, you know, and we've, we've kind of uh, put the the word pivot in, you know, in the safe and we're trying not to use that, but (laughs) so, so, uh, you know, it's just interesting to see how not only due to a pandemic, things have changed, but how things were already moving in a different direction. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of new tactics and business plans that we've saw even before the pandemic, but also, you know, a lot of e-commerce that has been helped due to the pandemic. Um, But there's a lot of that going on before with different tasting uh, companies like Flaviar, for instance, um, uh, online ordering like Drizzly, things like that. So I was just wondering how, you are, I know we talked a little bit before about this, uh, before the show, but how are you using these different tactics to, to move the brand along and how do you see this part of the industry and kind of working out and, and moving forward? Yeah. So, so, so what I, so, so a couple of things, one is actually as it, as it pertains to e-commerce, I, uh, uh, I'm not sure if you guys know this, but my prior gig before 10 to one was, um, I was on the exec team at Starbucks and I actually ran the e-commerce business for them. So I have a little bit of a, a Starbucks. little bit of, now, st- now what's that Starbucks? 
Yeah, it's a, it's, 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 it's a small, small coffee startup. You probably haven't heard of it. I, 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 doubt, I doubt you know. I doubt you know. I got you. But yeah, yeah. I spent a little time doing some e-commerce stuff with those guys. And, and, and obviously, who would have predicted that that would come in quite handy in the world of spirits? But I think what you kind of mentioned there, Damon, is, is, is true. Um, you know, we launched the brand in June of 2019. Uh, we, had a, we had a really remarkable, super exciting first six, seven, eight months in market. Um, like most smaller brands, most young brands, um, we dedicated the vast majority of our time on premise. Um, great place for discovery and engagement with the consumer. Great place to, to really engage and build advocacy with the trade. And, and our brand is one where liquid to lips is really important, right? Like, like, like we're not, we're not hiding, we're not hiding from, um, the, the chance for the consumer to try the product. Actually, we actively want to create as many of those moments and showcase as much as we can, right? Because we really believe in the quality of the liquid. And so that, that was very core to our, go to market strategy as we were kind of heading into the back half of 2019, early 2020. Um, all of a sudden, March, April of last year rolls around and the unthinkable quite literally happens, right? Bars and restaurants everywhere in the country, including New York, where we launched the brand, uh, 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 were closed uh, completely. And so all of a sudden, you're kind of left there trying to figure out, you know, how you can, uh, you know, I suppose, I suppose, um, um, reverse the trend or find an alternate path to, 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 to introducing the brand to folks and keeping the momentum going, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's really where the e-commerce piece, I think kind of not, 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 not came into play for us, but certainly accelerated for us. Um, where we just said, listen, you know, we got to find a way to keep on introducing the brand to folks. Um, um, we all saw the whole sort of home bartender revolution and craze, particularly in the summer months last year that, uh, that, that created a unique opportunity. And so, yeah, finding ways to kind of tell that story, whether it's through email marketing, whether it's through, you know, what we're doing in digital and social became a key part of the strategy. Now, now the way that I would think about that today, now that we're in sort of July 2021, is not necessarily that, that, that e-commerce has replaced the other approaches. Uh, I, I, I sort of run our business with, with three viable channels in mind, right? So I'm thinking about on-premise, I'm thinking about the off-premise, and I'm also thinking about D2C e-commerce as a, as a third channel. And really sort of what are the opportunities there to continue to, to, continue to build and grow and scale across each of those three. Yeah. So I know that, that, that obviously I feel like the best tactic, especially as you said, uh, you know, getting in with the on-premise is, is key because then you have, you know, if you get bartenders on your side, you have essentially, you have advocates, you know, for your brand. And, you know, it's, it's always funny to me, like whenever you go to a restaurant and like uh, the waiter comes up and they, they tell you about the specials of the day. I can always tell if they've actually like seen, tasted, mm -hmm. tried, experienced, you know, just from the body language, the way they're speaking of it. I, if they rattle off three specials, I'm like, Oh, they actually tried that one. <laughs> I can tell. And it's, it's one of those <laughs> things where, you know, it's one thing to, to have, you know, shelf talkers, you know, in the off premise. Uh, that's, that's one thing, but it's really, you kind of, it's nice. To, it kind of this goes back to what you're saying about sharing this with like friends and family, like sitting on the beach or by a riverbank and like mm -hmm. and enjoying life and sharing those moments. It's all about the experience, right? So whenever you have that, when someone can carry that torch for you and pass the baton, really, you know, that's that's where consumers really feel connected to it, right? So that's one thing that I've always thought about. You know, whenever I walk into accounts is. You know, brand ambassador and 
I'm like, the first thing is liquid lips. Like you got to try it. But then there's another part of it that I think is really interesting too. When you talk about e-commerce is that on your website, you've done a lot of these virtual happy hours. I know that everyone like that's, yeah. that's been a big thing for a lot of companies, especially, you know, like uh, even from the largest corporations down to, you know, even bars like mine where, you know, the staff couldn't get together and see each other at the beginning of the pandemic. And we're like, you know what? We're just going to have a happy hour. Everyone grab whatever bottle you want. And we're going to talk about it like we would normally. We're talking shop at the bar, but we're also having a drink with each other. Of course, it's across the screen. But there's still something very valuable there with not only saying this is the best rum, this one, you know, at the LA Spirit Show uh, in 2020 or, you know, any, any kind of accolade, it's really getting into it. And I, I love the fact that you kind of took that idea of the virtual happy hour and it has been something that has been on your site for a while now. Right. I mean, that's. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, absolutely. And I would say, you know, a couple of things there, right. Like, like going back to sort of the, the, the Genesis, the origin story of 10 to one, um, but, but by the way, actually even the origins of the name, right. The name 10 to one is inspired by the original Caribbean Federation, which consisted of 10 countries, right. So the idea of 10 becoming one. Right. Um, and, and as Trinidad's prime minister at the time said, uh, Dr. Eric Williams, he said one from 10 equals zero. He's making the point that if you remove one from the collective, the whole thing falls apart. And so 10 to 1 is a brand that is grounded in this idea of community, strength in numbers, the idea that we're all stronger together than we are apart. So, so, so you take that name, um, you take what I described earlier on about um, what's unique about Trinidadian culture, Caribbean culture, those moments of celebration. Um, I think you take what we just discussed about the on-premise, right? Like, like, like people coming together, having that, having that same moment of connection or resonance, that touch point with whether it's your friend who you're saddled up at the bar with or the bartender who's across from you, right? And, 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 and now, now try to create a through line of, of each of those pieces and bring some of that into the into the digital scape, if you will, right? Um, and, and that to me is where the opportunity is presented. Without getting kind of too philosophical about it, one thing I said, uh, uh, you know, when the pandemic first kind of uh, was taking root and everybody was predicting the demise of in-person interaction and everything was going to be virtual forever and all of that stuff, I, I actually disagreed and do disagree with it very strongly. Like, like, like the, the world is changing around us faster than we as humans are evolving. Humans are tactile. They want to connect. They want to write like, like relationships matter. Those things aren't going away over the course of six or 12 months. And so even then, when you're thinking about bringing a brand like 10 to 1 into that digital realm, into that e-commerce realm, you're still trying to, I think, hold on to those same moorings and those same attributes and just figure out how you can extend them or replicate them wherever you can in that space. And so things like virtual how uh, um, virtual happy hours that we've done, you know, um, cocktail recipes that are built for two or four or eight, right? Perhaps you can kind of share with a friend as the world comes back. Um, some unique storytelling or vignettes that kind of give you a chance to share a little bit of that and pass it along to, you know, to a friend or a colleague. Those to me are some of the ingredients that will make that e-commerce channel, I think, um, not just viable, but also successful as you think about scaling that alongside what you do in the on and the off-premise. Well, I, I mean, I, I absolutely love that. And I love that idea that, you know, I mean, this is one, one thing that I was hitting on all of last year when we were, you know, in our virtual studio kind of 
predicting, you know, all trying to look into our crystal balls and see what the future would hold for commerce and for bars and for, you know, people getting together. And, and the, the, you, you touched on something that I said a lot, which is that we are a social species. Like we want to be around each other. We want to be in spaces and, and celebrate together and not through our screens if we can help it. Um, and I also love how that kind of ties into this, this whole notion of, of 10 to one, which brings me to another thing I really wanted to ask you about, which is the blend that's in your white rum, because it's a blend of, uh, it's a column still from the Dominican Republic, but then it's a really high ester pot still from Jamaica and it's an overproof rum, which I, I'm super into. And, you know, I wanted to, to touch on that because I think it's, it's cool that it brings in this philosophy of, you know, it's like we, if you, if you take out one from the equation, you get zero. But I also wanted to ask, that seems like kind of a bold move because whenever I see rum startups, quote unquote, I feel like they have, they come out with an aged rum or, you know, maybe like a, 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 a spice rum occasionally where they're like, oh yeah, this is the, like the sort of like artistic one where we kind of messed around with it. This is, you know, the one that like, you know, that we really put our heart and soul into. And then we have this white rum that's basically just a vodka that's paying yeah. the bills. But it right. looks like you didn't really do that. Like you kind of went for something bold on the white rum. And I, I, I love that, but I'd love to hear the thought process behind it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, yeah, for sure, Greg. I mean, you know, um, first of all, I, I appreciate that. Uh, you know, what I would say is, um, uh, Back to sort of the, the intention around 10 to 1, you know, we want to find a way to, 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 to elevate perceptions of the category, right, on the part of the consumer. We talk a lot about this idea of challenging expectations, right? You want to find a way to, to reimagine the way that, that the, or reinvigorate the way that people will taste and experience and talk about rum. We talk about this idea of, of rum reimagined, taking those things and turning them upside down for a consumer. And so I think if, if you're going to do, if that's going to be your, 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 your intention or your objective, then what's the product you kind of go put out there on, on, on the table for folks to enjoy? And, and, and what you said there is true, which is that um, when we were first um, on the path to um, thinking through product development, I initially had focused primarily on our dark rum, our aged rum, just thinking that, again, you know, if you want to elevate the category, you got to, like, bring something really exceptional in that, in that space to life. We thought that this idea of creating blend stories really would resonate um, with the ethos of 10 to 1, um, with what we discussed before comparing rum and wine, right? Like, like, like the provenance and the terroir and the distillation methods. You can really build something very beautiful through a blend, this idea of beauty in the blend. Um, and, and that was really kind of where we began to focus with our, with our age drum, which also, by the way, is a blend, right? Four countries, Trinidad, Barbados, Jamaica, and, 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 the, and the DR. Um, with the white rum, though, there really is a very clear opportunity, as you kind of alluded to. You know, a lot of people will think about white rum as kind of like, yeah, it's the vodka of rum. You know, you, you add it to cocktails for the alcohol, not for the character, the body, or anything unique about it. And, and we, we said well, hold on, let's actually approach this a little bit differently, right? If that's how people think about it, then clearly there is an opportunity here for us to like reframe some of that thought and bring something that is truly exceptional in its own right. Um, now, 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 how did we do that? Well, I'm, I'm a big rum nerd, which is obviously why I'm here talking to you guys about rum all day. But uh, uh, um, like many other rum nerds, I love, you know, Jamaican rums. They're big, they're bold, they're funky, they're high proof, they're expressive, high ester, all of those things you'll hear attached to it. Um, 
th- those rums, though, I think end up feeling a little bit inaccessible for a lot of consumers who are just yeah. entering the category, right? And so how do you bring to life some of those notes? You know, if, if you were doing a tasting of 10 to 1 white right now, you would you'd pick up on the nose this really unique combination of grassy, herbaceous, kind of fresh citrus notes that, that are very compelling. We have people who sort of who buy the rum off the, off the nose alone. They, gra- they gravitate towards it immediately. Um, but then on the palate actually drinks a, a very sort of like uh, smooth, clean, uh, um, slight, slight, slight sort of zestiness. We'll describe a little bit of white pepper on the palate along with the jasmine, the citrus, the honeysuckle, etc. that just make for a really, really um, exceptional uh, uh, drinking experience. Certainly, you're going to want your white rum to um, create the most incredible daiquiris that you ever laid eyes on or laid lips on, I guess I would say. And then, and then, and then, and then, and then be very versatile across a whole host of other the different cocktails and bills that you can you can bring to life and so yeah for me that was really the thinking behind that that combination of the jamaican pot still alongside the dominican column still um it, 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 the, the, those two by the way um one of the characteristic you'll actually hear people reference um in some of these judging competitions and and, and what have you is the rum has really exceptional body um especially at 90 proof stands up extraordinarily well in a cocktail. It doesn't kind of disappear into the back. Again, this whole notion of the vodka of rums, it actually kind of brings something to the party, um, both in terms of the body and in terms of like those, those, those notes and the flavor profile and what have you as well. So yeah, super excited about what, we, what we've been able to do with that, with that white rum blend so far. That's great. I, you know, I think that that is a, a kind of a fallback for the at least the American consumer, my, in my experience, that uh, exactly that. I can I can sub out a white rum for for vodka in most of my cocktails and not have a uh, anything that's going to be offensive to the consumer or to the guests. And, uh, and but but I'm glad to hear that there's a way that we can have characteristics of of the more nerdy rums so that there's a ladder to climb, you know, I deal in a, in a very odd category. Uh, I, I deal all in Amari and bitters. And oftentimes I'll have someone come in who's excited and an enthusiast already. Uh, and they're bringing someone with them who's never even heard the word Amaro. And this mm-hmm. excited person will be like, I'm, give us two shots of El Cerro Nova Salas, which is, you know, by far one of the boldest things I have on the bar. And all I can think to myself is if I do that, I'm going to, of course, delight this one guy, but I'm going to turn this other person off to Amaro forever. Right. Right. It's almost like you rush to the to the mountaintop, right? You, you need to enjoy the climb and the journey. So I'll look at them and say, sure, I'm going to pour this for you, but I'm going to talk to your friend and suss out what I can pour for them. It'll get them on the right path. Um, so I think that that's, that's a great, that's a great step to have that's, that, that can bring people to those more high ester, more funky rums, the nerdy ones, the ones that we as nerds certainly enjoy, but I don't think that's the place you start someone. Yeah, I, I, exactly. You know, I think, I think a lot of this to me is about how do you build bridges into the category and, and, and start to stir up start to culture some of that real enthusiasm around, around rum. And I, I, I love that analogy, right? So I think, I think it's, it's totally true and very applicable to, 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 to the world of, of rum as well. Um, the other way, by the way, that we think about doing that is even in terms of the kinds of cocktails that you would create. Uh, so so we, we, we love this whole idea of, um, we love this saying, you know, anything you can do, rum can do better. And so, um, uh, creating, uh, I should, I should get a tattoo or a t-shirt or something, but you know, creating cocktails, we like doing classics with a twist. 
So I'm not just doing your, your traditional rum cocktails, you know, your daiquiris, which are exceptional with 10 to 1, or your mojitos or what have you, but also um, your old fashions, your Manhattans, your Negronis. Um, so that we got to do that at some point. You and I was doing a little tasting. Um, uh, your, your martini, your rumarita, right? Those to me are all opportunities to build, build bridges to consumers in other categories. We're always like, hey, if you're a bourbon, high rye, whiskey drinker, like, let me introduce you to 10 to 1 talk. There's a lot of notes in there with the, with the ex-bourbon barrel aging and the cedar and the vanilla and the, 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 the toffee that are going to be very resonant for you for sure. Um, the white rum, we love building bridges to agave drinkers, tequila, mezcal, even the, the more botanically oriented kind of gin drinker. Lots of ways to get folks into the fold, whether it's through the composition of the blends we discussed or even through the kinds of cocktails that you're advocating for and the way that they can ultimately kind of make their way into the category, if that makes sense. Of course it does, man. Listen, I would love to continue talking to you about this forever, um, but sadly <laughs> we're at the end of the road here, um, and I don't want to take up too much more of your time because I know you're trying to get on a proper vacation, Mark. Um, tell, us how, uh, tell us how the listener can get in touch with 10 to 1 or get in touch with you. You got an Instagram handle? Yeah, we do. We do. Lots of ways to get in touch uh, for all those who are out there. Um, we're on IG. Um, so the handle is 10 to 1 rum, all spelled out T E N T O O N E R U M, 10 to 1 rum. Um, same, same, uh, deal for our website, 10 to 1 rum.com. Um, which is separate. It's a little confusing from our e-commerce site, which is shop10to1.com. Um, we'll get into the, the, the three-tier system and all that stuff on another podcast maybe. But yeah, um, yeah those, are the, th- those are the easiest ways to find us. And certainly if you are in uh, you know, New York, D.C., Chicago, Miami, Charleston, Atlanta, um, and a few other spots around the country, you know, jump onto the website, use our finder, drop in your zip code, and you'll be able to find the nearest restaurant, bar, or, or, or liquor store that's carrying the product. So yeah, lots of ways to, to stay in touch with the brand. Yeah, I think the easiest path really is 10 to 1 rum on uh, Instagram. It's got a link tree there that has links to all of the sites you just mentioned. So exactly uh, it's right. kind, of, kind of a one-stop shop there. Plus you get some beautiful photos and some inspiration on how to do, enjoy the drink. <laughs> I'm looking at this daiquiri right now on the website and it's I don't think it's too early in California for it's one. It's 10 a.m. Which is perfect time for drinking. Which is perfect time for drinking. I don't. Uh, I don't uh, uh, shame anyone for drinking at whatever time they want to drink. If they're adults, <laughs> if, if you're an adult, drink when you want to. Uh, Damon, you want to take us out? That's it. Yeah. Um, that's it for the Speakeasy this week. Check out Heritage Radio Network for many more programs like this one. Make yourself a 10 to 1 daiquiri no matter what time of day it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, post a photo and tag us at the Speakeasy. We'll repost it. Exactly. All right, Mark, thanks so much. This has been a lot of fun. I can't wait to have you. We can't wait to have you, that is, back on the show sometime. And uh, enjoy the rest of your – start enjoying your actual vacation is what I want to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. Such a pleasure. appreciate uh, the opportunity to spend a little bit of time with you. And hopefully we can share a couple of daiquiris on the gronies in the, in the not-too-distant future. Sounds yeah, great. Can't wait. Cheers, All right, everybody. until then, cheers. Take care, guys. Bye. Cheers. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil runs his groove in them rhythm and blues that sound. It's gonna get you The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. 
Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at Facebook.com forward slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows that you like. Tell your friends. And please, join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.